So the reading is Psalm 63, which um, is on page 579 of the Church Bibles. Like to find that. And this is a psalm of David when he was in the desert of Judah. And he says, You, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and glory. Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live, and in your name I will lift up my hands. I will be satisfied as with the richest of foods. With singing lips my mouth will praise you. On my bed I remember you. I think of you through the watches of the night. Because you are my help, I sing in the shadow of your wings. I cling to you, your right hand upholds me. Those who want to kill me will be destroyed. They will go down to the depths of the earth. They will be given over to the sword and become food for jackals. But the king will rejoice in God. All who swear by God will glory in him, while the mouths of liars will be silenced. This is the word of the Lord. Martin, thank you. Let's pray. Father God, your word is a lamp to my feet, a light to my path. As we share tonight, together as we consider the word of God, we pray, Lord, that you will enlighten us. Lord, that you will show us the way, bring us your truth, bring us understanding, ears to hear, eyes to see where you are leading us. Strength, Lord, to follow in your ways. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. I must say they just let me loose on this, um, this clicker, whatever you call it. So if the screen gets lost, not me, but if the screen gets lost, then forgive me, I've, I've pressed something I shouldn't. But uh, bear with me, we should get there. A couple of weeks ago, um, we got a phone call from the company who delivers Lizzie's mum's uh, lunches, and they said that day uh, her mum just didn't seem her usual bubbly self, and uh, can we call her? With a rough idea what was wrong, it was uh, a couple of days when it was about 40 degrees. So we took a guess, and we were right, she was dehydrated, we said, um, have you been drinking water? This was about mid-afternoon, and she said, yes, I've had a glass with me all day, and I've had a couple of sips out of it. So obviously, that uh, was the problem. Recently, in the newspapers, we've seen this. Oh, yes. Uh, now England faces the worst drought since 1976. Parts regions face horse pipe bans unless heavens are open. 
as the UK is set for another week of 25 degrees sunshine. That's not a lot, is it? Having been through uh, the 40 degrees. Here's the Judean desert or wilderness, <coughs> excuse me, and the temperature uh, has been something like 45 degrees to 49.9. So it's a bit more unbearable and a place where you're more likely to get dehydrated. It's no wonder uh, that David uh, said those words, and I think he shouted out those words, my whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. And it certainly looks like that is the case. So there it is, desert of Judea. If anyone fancies going on the holidays there, um, that's a nice place. You get all the sand to yourself, basically. Um, okay. <laughs> Without water, you know, uh, we, we would really struggle. Um, experts tell me that um, we can live about three days without water before we begin to dehydrate and meet an untimely death. And water, of course, is there. It regulates our temperature. It um, keeps uh, the oxygen flowing through and does many other things. I won't give you a long list, but I'll suggest you take a, a sip from your cup at this point. It was potentially a dangerous place for David to be. We heard from John Hamilton last week that the superscriptions above the psalm, that's those little words that we see in italics there, that they're not scripture as such, but they're an attempt to give an idea of what that scripture, or in this case, what that psalm is about. Most commentators and people more learned than me, and there's uh, more than a few of them out there, um, they say that it probably is linked to a time when Absalom, David's son, was uh, chasing him and um, looking for his life, in fact. There are three key times when David was in the wilderness, of course. He was out there as a young shepherd boy. He was just doing a job. He wasn't fleeing unless he was defleeing the sheep. The second time, uh, David wasn't in rulership at that time, but King Saul was after him, also for his life. And then this third occasion when his son Absalom uh, was chasing him. And uh, as I say, the hope that he would catch him and David would be no more. So the likely backstory then is this. Absalom was David's third son, so he didn't actually have the rights to succession. The scriptures say about him in 2 Samuel chapter 14, in all Israel, there was not a man so highly praised for his handsome appearance as Absalom. So he was a popular man. He attracted a good number of followers. It says he stole the hearts of the people of Israel. That was part of the problem, really. Uh, after a time, he declared himself king. He was uh, crowned in Hebron. Um, he really wanted to steal the throne of his father, King David. And people did follow him, and they did support him as king. To be fair, it was fairly short-lived. Absalom uh, died in battle eventually. Uh, but the chase itself was very real. And... Second Samuel, once again, a messenger came and told David, the hearts of the people of Israel are with Absalom. Then David said to all his officials, come, we must flee, or none of us 
will escape from Absalom. And all the people moved on toward the wilderness, or the desert of Judea. Very hard situation, all the drama of a, a blockbuster movie. But of course, it was no walk in the park for David. Interestingly, uh, this psalm has touched the Christian church for many years. Uh, going back to the 4th century, John Chrysostom, I've been practicing that, John Chrysostom, the Bishop of Constantinople, one of the early church leaders, the, one of the fathers of the church, um, said, the spirit and soul of the whole book of Psalms is contracted in this psalm. The spirit and the soul of the whole book of Psalms is contracted in this psalm. In fact, the ancient church had the practice of singing psalms um, during their services, and at the beginning of the service, Psalm 63 was appointed to be sung. It was called the morning hymn. And uh, I think probably because what we tr have translated in the NIV as earnestly, I seek you, uh, the word can also mean dawn or early. So I think that's the reason why it was chosen. But why then does Chrysostom see this as such an important psalm? And what can we see in it? We see God, the one to worship might not sound good English but actually the one to worship because there were many gods out there false gods gods made of stone and wood who had no relationship with the people who were trying to serve them who made sacrifices to them but here here we see a God who is relational who is personal and who is intimate. In the hardest of times, he was my God. In fact, the Hebrew uh, way around will put it more like this. My God, you are. My God, you are. God is relational, personal, and intimate. He was reachable. He was there. He knew David, and David knew him. He was my God, not that distant, unconcerned deity. I think how easy it is to speak of God in sort of overarching terms, yet forget that first and foremost, God always wants a personal relationship with you or I. And David approached him in that way. You are. I think it's a great link uh, to the time when Moses was asking, uh, when I go to see Pharaoh, uh, who should I say you are? God said, I am who I am. There was a time in history, of course, when God's people needed to know the power of God over their situation. And their enemy needed to understand the power of the true and living God. Prophet Isaiah describes it this way. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary. And David was in relationship with such a God who, unlike himself in a tiresome, hot land, would not grow tired or weary. It was always approachable, knowable, and understanding beyond measure. Great. As Christians, the relational God is known 
through the one whom God sent, who said, I am Jesus Christ. God is powerful, present, and glorious. Verse 2. We're on page 579, by the way, if you wanted to follow it. I've seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory. David would, in fact, have seen God in the sanctuary. He would have been looking back to that time when he perhaps was there. The uh, Ark of the Covenant was there. The uh, words of the Ten Commandments in them. And the, the glory of God surrounding would have been in this desert facing these hard times, just perhaps looking back at those times. In fact, the Ark had travelled with uh, David and God's people as they moved out towards the wilderness. But David sent it back to Jerusalem, where it really belonged. So, you know, he missed it. It went back to that place. And he knew what it was like to be beyond the sanctuary at that time. I have seen you in the sanctuary. I beheld your power and your glory. Can you imagine how David was feeling at that time? God in that sanctuary was known as omnipotent, all-powerful. He was there. He was all-knowing. He was all-present in that place. And David would have yearned uh, to be back there with him. But he knew that that same God was with him out there in the wilderness, in the desert place. It's a place you can feel alone. You can feel powerless in yourself. It's here where it was good to remember that sanctuary experience. And as David looked back, perhaps with longing at that time when he used to meet God there, he found that God is beyond our wildest dreams. His love is beyond our wildest dreams. Better than life, in fact, he says in verse 3. Because your love is better than life. My lips will glorify you. In fact, the word kesed, which is translated love here, means something so much deeper than we probably mean when we're talking about love on the human level. It means something so much deeper uh, than our translation here. It, it means more like giving yourself fully and freely, with love, with compassion. And we see there that sacrificial God, one who is exemplified in Jesus, who gave himself fully out of love and compassion for the world, for sinners like you and I, for David. We see the grace of God, the unmerited love and favour here. And whilst David didn't deserve what Absalom was doing to him, he certainly didn't deserve the favour of God either. I mean, don't idolise David because he was a character who had his flaws. Sinful, like the rest of us, undeserving, and yet loved and forgiven. And here, saved from the worst of the desert and the worst that Absalom could do to him, he tasted of the God of infinite love. God is to be worshipped. Verse 4, I will praise you as long as I live, and in your name I will lift up my hands. 
reference to lifting up of hands that was the way that uh, people at that time would have of responding to god of praying to god uh, it was a typical uh, jewish way but it was a way of offering the whole of their body symbolic of the whole of their self to god in worship god god commands the whole of our body indeed the whole of our lives be spent in worship of him Psalm 100 and verse 3 says, Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. And then 103, Praise the Lord, O my soul. All my inmost being, praise him. God's looking not just for the words of our mouth, and not even for just the lifting up of our hands. He's looking for lives that are lived in a way that gives honour and glory to him. God is to be worshipped through and in our lives god satisfies our deepest needs i will be satisfied as with the richest of foods the singing lips my mouth will praise you i think david could have commanded anything that he wanted at various points in his life but you know his true satisfaction lies in god at this point no one else nowhere else nothing else we of course may chase after the world after pleasure after fame after fortune we may put so many other things before god but there's no real satisfaction in anything other howard hughes uh, one of the richest men in the world in his time had to insist i'm not a paranoid deranged millionaire i'm a billionaire but he found that there was no satisfaction in his money, in his fame, in his power, in his abilities. And he was quite an able man um, early in his life. They just didn't satisfy. I don't think he ever uh, found Christ for himself. But he did find a life that was in no way satisfying for all the money that he had. He ended up actually both paranoid and deranged lonely man a recluse recluse no friends no community no hope no faith just a paranoid deranged man god is sovereign protector let's have a look at verse seven because you're my help i will sing in the shadow of your wings i will sing in the shadow of your wings psalmist seems to like this phrase actually it's used several times uh, in the psalms and in scripture but here in the desert where there be no cloud to protect him from the sun that dry and parched land without shade it, it was impossible to survive for long and david knew that but he also knew the shadow or the shade of god's wings god's protection and also his sovereignty because if god is our refuge and we took safely under his wings then nothing can get through to us unless it goes through god first it speaks of god the sovereign protector of him as our security god upholds in verse 8 i cling to you your right hand upholds me and we probably know the right hand suggests giving someone 
equal honor with himself, equal dignity and authority. It also means the hand of power and protection. So the term God's right hand, well, in prophecy, it actually refers to the Messiah himself, to whom is given power and authority to subdue his enemies. God upholds me. Have you found that? God is the one who upholds. God is in overall control. We come to verses 9 to 11. Those who want to kill me will be destroyed. They will go in, down into the depths of the earth. They will be given over to the sword and become food for jackals. Wow. That's, um, that's some threat, isn't it? You know, if they're chasing after me, they will meet the worst of all ends. Some would say uh, that sentence is imprecatory or something like that. It means calling down trouble on your enemies. But we must remember that David was facing not just a threat to his own life, not just a threat to his own throne, but a threat to the people of God. And he was standing up for the honour of God. God keeps, of course, and God, um, the protector, comes to those who are his, who are prepared to follow him, who are prepared to see him as all these things. God keeps those who trust him in that way. We see God, the one to worship. We see David, the one who worships. And we've seen his personal relationship with the relational God. He had what the rich, the handsome, the powerful Absalom lacked. A relationship with the uh, King of Kings, with God himself, the creator of the universe, the creator of him, of all creatures, and even of Absalom himself. And of all the relationships that David had had up to that time in his life, there was nothing to equal the personal knowledge, contact they had, experiencing and hearing the living God. And out of this arose his intense longing for God. You are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. I've seen you in the sanctuary, beheld your power and your glory. He had that intense longing for God. It characterised his time out there in the wilderness. I don't know about you, but I think my first reaction to being in a dangerous or difficult situation would be, why me? Where are you, God? Why have you forsaken me? And I hate to admit this, but I think my intense longing would be for the creature comforts, for freedom. And I know many Christians have been prepared to go through great suffering, persecution, even martyrdom for their faith and their trust in God. Yet, how easy is it in my and your lives to have that intense longing for safety, for security, rather than for the fullness of God. 
for David, the love of God is better even than life. And certainly the life he has now, both times in trouble and a blessing. Speaking about water has made me very thirsty, so excuse me. It is a dry and parched land. David, his readiness to worship God. You'll see some verses up there. Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live. And in your name I will lift up my hands. Wow. Verse 6. On my bed I remember you. I think of you through the watches of the night. It's a response to God's life-changing love. His whole life committed to worshipping God. Uh, not just his wilderness experience, but beyond. And in his return to kingship. We see some great... Uh, messages, words of love for God as we read the Psalms of David. His readiness to worship him. It's a commitment that denies the self, denies his own cravings. It's a commitment that um, both present and future are in God's hands. It's an act of trusting God, but it's a dedication of himself and of all his days and ways to God, the whole life and holistic response to God's holiness, his continued protection, God's being, God's personality. And yes, he does speak about the lifting up of his hands in God's name. Worship, honour, praise. And he had a deep satisfaction in God. I think there's no question that in a land where nothing else satisfies, he realises the source of his real satisfaction. His only satisfaction, God himself. You know, cool water on a, a dusty and dry day, shelter from a blistering sun, safety in the caves, amongst the rocks and the crevices, they're things to be prized. But true satisfaction, life-changing satisfaction, comes only from God himself. Someone said we need to count our blessings as often as we count the troubles we're in. And David certainly did that. He meditated, of course. Talks about meditating upon God on his bed. And a great thing to do if you can't sleep. Can I suggest that? Sometimes I'm not a great sleeper. I can't say I meditate upon the God. I just listen to Liz snoring. Um, <laughs> But it's being in that place where in all times you're in that attitude of wanting to draw close to God, wanting to seek God, wanting to be with him. And he was there at that time, meditating, thinking, connecting, communicating with God. John Piper says, a sleepless night is just as much a gift from God as is a night's sound sleep. Not that we look upon it that way, but David did. He turned it into opportunities to muse about God. David talks about the watches of the night, meditating on God through the watches of the night. There would be the times when uh, the guards, perhaps there was a change of guards, but there were the people who were watching 
for the things that sometimes happen in the dark, the night, the wild animals that would uh, roam about, the, the attack from Absalom in the dark. What better time to attack uh, when the enemy is sleeping, it's night time, you can't see the surprise attack. And David was just before God in that time. I'm not saying he wasn't worried about Absalom. He had flown away from his um, threats. But nevertheless, he was there in that place of peace, seeking his God. He had his own hold upon God. I talked about uh, God upholding. Well, David held on uh, firmly and tightly to God. I cling to you. He says, I cling to you. You know, your right hand upholds me. And David clung to that hand. He clung. It's, it's the same word, a cling, that is used, um, cleave. You know, talk about a man will cleave to his wife. You know, it's that holding so closely that nothing else would matter. Nothing else would prize them apart at that time. That's, a, that's what David was doing. He was clinging on to God tightly. He was giving him all that he had and holding on to all that God had for him. Confident in God. Great thing to be confident in God, your protector. I think the, the uh, confidence comes from having been in that desert, having known that protection of God, having found himself under uh, that protective wing, maybe looked out in that uh, desert and maybe he'd seen the dryness and how parched it was. He realised that he was surviving the experience because God was there with him and he was under God's protective shade or shadow. And he knew that. And he was aware he couldn't have um, survived of his own accord. He needed God. And he had confidence in God, his protector. Great place to want to be but that confidence extended to what we see in verses uh, 9 and 10 those who wanted to kill me will be destroyed he was confident that God was actually on his side and he found great comfort from that he had this great trust in God his enemies were many you know Absalom had won the heart of the people of Israel and they were chasing after him and he held on to that trust that God will ultimately deliver him from those enemies. That desert was a place of death. The dryness, the threats, the threat moving in, I think, of Absalom. What we see in David is self-view in relation to God. If you just look, verse 11, but the king king will rejoice in God you know he saw himself in relation to God and he knew yes I'm the king but there's a greater one than I God himself and he had a fairly realistic uh, view of himself that, let's face it I'm great I'm a king are you I'm the king but actually greater still 
is the greater son of David. And greater still is the God who has protected me through this time. I'm going to move on. Um, Andrew thought his sermons were long. I think I claim to be longer. We see Jesus. Yeah? When we look at the, at the scriptures, we're encouraged to see Jesus. Somebody said every page whispers Jesus. He is the author, the finisher of our faith. He is to be found there. So where do we see Jesus? He is the living water. We've heard about that earlier on uh, in the service. He is the image of the living God. So if we want to know what God is like, then Jesus shows us and teaches us the way. For the Christian, the relational God is known through the one he sent, who said, I am. He opens up our access to God. David had that um, access, that one-to-one relationship where he was able to um, see God, he was able to address God. Jesus Christ gives us that too, that access to God. Not something we can whip up ourselves, not something that we can bring into being, we need to come through God's appointed way, and that is through his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus is the embodiment of love. David found love in God. Your love is better than life. Well, for us, the embodiment of love is Jesus. We know the love of God because we have tasted that in Jesus. God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, the embodiment of love, embodiment of God. And Jesus is our satisfaction. Jesus is our salvation. So many other things, but it's going dark soon. We see ourselves. Are you thirsty for God? Are you as thirsty for God as David was? Where do you find your satisfaction? Where's sanctuary for you? That place where you can really meet up with God. Somebody said the purpose of sanctuary is to provide a way of redemption back to God through Jesus. But where is that place? Where is that place where you can come? And you can find God. Where is that place in your life where you can come? You can give time. You can sit and you can think and you can find God. There's the old story of the curé d'Ar. If you know any French, it's sort of the vicar of um, Ar. It's a place in France. And he went into the uh, church regularly and uh, whenever he went there was this guy sitting on the front row and this guy was just looking up and it happened day after day until he thought well I, I need to find out what this guy's up to so he asked him and the guy said I just looks upon God and he looks upon me what a place what an attitude what a place to be. What is sanctuary for you? 
sanctuary, actually, uh, one of the places where the, the priests performed their priestly duty. They were anointed, appointed, and they were exercising the gift uh, that was theirs. Sanctuary. Exercising of gifts in the service of God. What about you? What about you and your gifts? What about you serving God in the way that he wants you to do? He's willing and maybe even has anointed you to do. What's the depth of your worship? The Westminster Catechism, which is a, a, a statement of Protestant faith, you could say, asks, what is the chief and highest end of man? The answer is, man's chief and highest end is to glorify God. What's your chief and highest end? Are you exercising that chief and highest end? Worship, of course, means to give God all the praise, all the honour due to him. I can just, if you don't mind, take you to uh, Revelation chapter 5. And it's on page 1, 2, 3, 6. Revelation chapter 5. It's a picture of worship in verses 11 and 12. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands and ten thousand times ten thousand. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice they were saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honour and glory and praise. How is your worship of God? How is your worship of God? You feel like that. Are you able to come and worship God in that way. C.S. Lewis says, Our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. David acknowledged God. What is your wilderness? Where are you before God? Finally, we live for God. I hope that's where you feel that you are before him. Trust in God. Proverbs 3 and verse 5 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Verse 6 says, Do not rely on light. But that song we sing, that I, I will be exalted in the earth. And for your pattern, prayer of the Christian life is coming to him. And of making that to read the word of God. Think upon God. And I've said this, deal with the props in your life because it's so easy it's so easy to have those things to carry us through life what happens when the props are kicked away what's your props what do you lean on to carry you through life deal with those props and i think hello i've got the next song on which is a sign that i'm just about to finish hallelujah <laughs> okay deal with those props in your life the Lord is trustworthy in all he promises and faithful in all he does. The Lord upholds all who fall and lifts up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you and you give them food at the proper time. You open your hand and satisfy the desire of every living thing. That's our God. That's the God whom David knew. Wise, we honour. God, thank you for this. Of the church, thank you. It's many more than the love of God.
Thank you for the Lord that we're coming and thirst to you. Experiences with us. Amen. Thank you.